Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. All right, welcome Restoration Church. So so honored and blessed to, to be here with you this morning. And um, before we jump in, um, if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're, the text will be on the screen, and we'll we'll go through the text that was read. Uh, but before that, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for us. Um, Lord Jesus, I, I thank you, God, so much for the honor and privilege, God, to uh, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in this place here today. God, um, just to, to stand here and feel so unworthy, God, we're, we, we come before you, before your throne, and God, you use ordinary, um, uneducated, sinful human beings, God, to do a work that's greater than anything that we could imagine, God, to glorify yourself. And God, um, today we're going to talk about this, this text, God, this challenging text where Paul says that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And there are some coming here today that are, that are suffering. They're in a hard time of their life. They're afflicted. And Jesus says, I will never leave or forsake you. And so today, God, I pray that they would be encouraged to know that they're not alone. I pray, God, that today that your word would go forth through my mouth, that the only words that would be spoken are the words that you've spoken in your word before me, uh, that today in this time that we would be encouraged and challenged and convicted, God, of any wrongdoing that's keeping us from walking in the, the plan that you've set up for, for us, um, for us, that we would walk in them, God. We are your workmanship, and so we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I'm not, I'm not here to, to tell you my testimony, but I, I do want to preface this with this. We're going we're gonna to talk about Paul and Barnabas today, but before Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church in Antioch and Syria, um, Paul, on the road to Damascus, had this encounter with Jesus where, where everything changed. And six years ago or so, I was in the most desperate time of my life. And in my desperation, I packed up in the middle of the night thinking I was going to San Diego because San Diego statistically then was the happiest place in America for young adults. And so I had traveled all over the world, done all kinds of stuff, sex, relationships, money. I lived in Asia, everything you can imagine. And at that point, there was nowhere else to go, but everybody in the world was saying, go to San Diego. And so on my way to San Diego, I packed up in the middle of the night, was driving there, and God had stopped me in Las Vegas. And it's in Las Vegas where I had this, this road to Damascus moment where there was this encounter with Jesus that changed everything. And, and, it, and it's amazing. We, we sung this song before and we talked about faithfulness. I just, I sit back there and I just praise God for his faithfulness because six years ago, if somebody told me that you'd be preaching at a church in Texas at Restoration Church or preaching at all, I, w- I would have had a lot of words to say. It would have been very nice. I, I would have laughed at you and had it wouldn't have been very nice what I would have responded. Um, and, and so Paul, too, had this encounter with Jesus, and it was the beginning of this new, new life that, that God had gave him. And so what we're going to talk about today isn't Paul or Barnabas doing anything, but God through Christ by his Spirit doing everything through them. 
Christ set the example and Paul walked in his footsteps. That's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every affliction and every disease. He says he, had, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without shepherds. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He said, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus set the example, and Paul and Barnabas walked in his footsteps as laborers. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. So the title of today's message is Authentic Shepherding. And so our first point this morning is the shepherd guides the sheep. Verse 19, if you're following along, it'll be on the screen as well. says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So what's happening here began in the synagogues. Everything began in chapter 13 when Paul and Barnabas went into the synagogue at Antioch in Pisidia. The people initially begged them to hear more on the next Sabbath. They would preach Christ, telling them that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Commended, condemned by the law, but set free by the grace through faith in Christ Jesus. How many of you want to be set free today? This was the message of the gospel they preached and refused to compromise. Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas urging them to continue in the grace of God. Now this is setting the stage for where we're going in the text today. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul and Barnabas. The power of influence. What are you allowing to influence your life? I was, I was at the gym in, in the sauna in Las Vegas one time, and there was this crowd of men that I was, I was sitting with in this sauna. And, and all of these men had such vulgar, it's, I mean, Sin City. It's, it's, there's a reason Vegas is known as Sin City. The, the language that was coming out of the words of these men was just vulgar. I wanted to leave, but instead I sat there and I prayed. I prayed for these guys. I prayed for opportunities to, to tell them about Jesus. And a couple of them got out, and I got out with them, and I just, I sat there with them. And uh, one of the guys, I started talking to him about Jesus, and I was new in my faith, very, very new in, in my walk with the Lord. And he started quoting all of these scriptures back to me. I wasn't expecting him to know the Bible. It, it was the weirdest thing, and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to respond. But, but there was this other, there was three or four of us there, and there was this man who knew tons of scripture. There was this other man who didn't know the scriptures, but he was hungry. He would, he would like, you could tell he was like excited about what I was saying. But then this guy came in and said stuff and knew more of the, more of the Bible than I knew. And he would, he would like, he'd fall to the side of this man because he appeared more knowledgeable to scripture. But in that conversation, when I talked about Jesus, he said, he said, he looked at me in the eye and he said, Jesus was just as equal as the other two criminals on the cross. 
And, and, I, and I didn't really know my Bible, but I knew what Jesus had done in my life, and I knew enough about who Jesus was that what he said wasn't true. But I was so confused by this man who knew all these scriptures that, this, that these words came out of his mouth. But because he appeared more knowledgeable, this man was led astray. He, he was a helpless sheep without a shepherd, and, and God wanted to use me to shepherd him, but I wasn't strong enough in my faith to know how to do that. And so Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly in response, saying, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. They refused to waver from the voice of God, their good shepherd. The Jews heard this and would stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, driving them out of their district. Paul and Barnabas, in response, shake off the dust of their feet and move on to Iconium, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Some of this Jonathan has been preaching on the last couple weeks. God saw crowds without a shepherd and sends Paul and Barnabas to lead them unto the Lord. In the beginning of chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel and a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Jesus told his disciples, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. The unbelieving Jews are wolves that stir up the Gentiles and poison their minds against the brothers. The people of the city would become divided and confused. Some followed the Jews, some followed the apostles. The people attempt to stone Paul and Barnabas and they flee to Lystra in Derby, where we are in the text today. Remember, Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages proclaiming the gospel, teaching, and healing. When they arrived to Lystra, Paul, sensitive to the Spirit, by the power of God at work within him, heals a man who is crippled from birth. The crowds under leadership of the priests gather oxen and garlands. They prepare to make a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas whom they now perceive are gods. Paul and Barnabas tear their clothes and rush to to correct the crowds, restraining them from offering sacrifices to them. Despite opposition, Paul and Barnabas refuse to waver from the command of their shepherd to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Led by persuasions, the, the crowds are harassed and helpless. One moment they are captivated by what's done, They're bowing down to to worship Paul, and the next moment they're stoning him to death. Sheep Sheep are sent to be shepherds of people who are shepherdless. God is the shepherd of people through Paul. Paul's not Jesus, but he's following Christ's example. He submitted to his shepherd, and he surrendered his willingness to obey him. The sheep, Paul, never wavers because he knows the shepherd, Jesus, guides him into his role as an authentic shepherd for Christ. How easily, though, are we persuaded by the world and our flesh? The crowds were influenced by the world, the religious system, because people were influenced by their flesh, jealousy. Our second point today is the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so if you're following along, we're still in verse 19, but the second part of 19 says, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. In our, in our context, in our country, 
It's so hard for us to understand the depths of the suffering that Jesus endured for our sake. Years ago, I met a missionary from China, and they were imprisoned for the sake of what they believed. And I won't go into the depths of their testimony, but I'll never forget it because they were imprisoned, and the, the people that put them in prison would make them stand for hours on end. And they would, they would take a stick and they would beat the bottom of their feet until it was bloody and bruised and battered. And they would beat the bottom of their feet and then they'd make them walk. And she said, this, this gal would talk about how she was chained to a, the center of the floor. And so they would beat her feet and then they, they would make her walk. She couldn't, she couldn't sit down. She'd have to walk. And there was no else to walk. She was chained to the floor. And so she'd walk back and forth. And she would fall down and then they, they'd come in. The guards would come in and they'd pick her up and they'd make her walk again all because she refused to denounce her faith in Jesus Christ. But she said as she was walking and she was discouraged, she, she was walking at one point, she said she saw her blood. She was walking, at one point she was walking in her own blood. And, and she couldn't help but think of how Jesus had shed his blood for her. And, and, in, that he, and in that she would find encouragement to know that the blood that, sh- that Jesus shed for her is the same blood that she's shedding now because of what he had did for her. A good shepherd would risk his life to protect the sheep. God sent his son Jesus as the good shepherd to lay his life down for us, to protect us from the slavery of sin, and to set us free. Amen? Before Paul became a sheep that followed Jesus, his name was Saul. Let me be clear, Jesus is the good shepherd and he gives us life, but he doesn't just give us life, he teaches us how to live. Saul was a martyr, a wolf, that harassed the helpless Christians, the crowds. He was involved with taking the lives of sheep who knew their shepherd. Saul stood and watched Stephen be stoned to death for his belief in Jesus Christ. Saul was a persecutor and would be persecuted as Paul Paul undergoes the very same thing that he helps bring upon Stephen. The unbelieving Jews traveled more than 100 miles to persecute Paul. How much do you have to hate someone to walk 100 miles to kill someone? All because you taught in the synagogues, you you proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he healed a man who was crippled from birth. Do you know your good shepherd and what he has done for you? Do you understand how undeserving you are? How undeserving we are? What are you willing to lay down for the sake of what you believe? The sheep adopt the shepherd's heart. Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. God's positioned Paul as a shepherd whom he would use to Do for others what Christ did for him. At the hands of their shepherd, the sheep share in his sufferings and become like him, like Jesus. 
Paul's denied himself. He's picked up his cross and he's chosen to follow Jesus as his good shepherd. Verse 20, if you're following along, says, But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Paul's stoned and he's drug out of the city. God miraculously heals him and he gets up only to return to the same city that just tried to kill him. Paul walks along the same path that he was drugged to return. This traumatic experience becomes another opportunity to serve Christ and to glorify him. Now now imagine you are on the opposite side of the spectrum. You stone someone, you drag them out of the city supposing they are dead, and now you see that man walk into your presence fully restored. God wanted Paul's persecutors to see a display of his power and his glory. No one in the city could possibly explain what happened but God. Everybody say, but God. I can only speculate that the awe of God's glory in that moment, the display of his power, would bring some of the congregants of the crowds that stoned him to death to their knees. Consider the tenacity, the courage required to return to the same city that just tried to kill you. This isn't, this isn't natural. This is a supernatural act of God as Paul is empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he couldn't do of himself. Despite adversity, the shepherd remains willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus didn't run from the cross because of the adversity, the suffering that he endured before he was hung on the tree. Jesus could defend himself, but instead, the Bible says that he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Through adversity, we go from knowing about God to knowing God himself in a real and personal way. So the shepherd guides the sheep. The the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And our third point today, the shepherd is compassionate. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Paul, through Christ, shares the same compassion for the people and the crowds that attempted to crucify him. It's important to recognize, though, that the battle isn't against Paul, but rather against the message of the gospel that he upheld. The battle isn't against flesh and blood. This is the word of God. Understanding this destroys every opportunity to cast blame. We're all, pl- we're all prone to blame others, but when we realize and take to heart what we did to Jesus, the crucifixion, what we deserve, condemnation, and what we were given, forgiveness and eternal life, there's no other response but compassion. We deserve hell, but God has compassion and he sends his son Jesus to die on the cross, to suffer on our behalf so that we could receive eternal life through him. This is the gospel. So verse, verse 21 and 22 says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Every single one of us here has suffered in some capacity. 
Natural disasters happen all the time. We all, we all know the devastation, the suffering that transpired after Hurricane Harvey. People we love die and we grieve. Relationships fall apart and we grieve. Terminal d- diseases are rampant. There's likely not one of us in this room that doesn't know somebody suffering from cancer. Sometimes we, we suffer because we simply know someone suffering. We mourn with those that mourn. We, when our group hurts, we hurt. Marriages are destroyed as spouses divorce, devastating children. The loss of a job, failure of an exam, the list, the list goes on. We all experience suffering. Through adversity, though, God develops character. Paul and Barnabas, their eyes are fixed on Jesus, their good shepherd, and their focus remains on his commission to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. The man who knows he is an ambassador of God's and that his life depends on his shepherd knows that he has nothing but his God to fear. If you know the story of the Good Samaritan, a man is, is kicked down, he's beaten, and he's left for dead. The, the priest walked by him, the Levite walks by him, but a Samaritan sees him and he has compassion. The Samaritan, the outcast, the least expected to respond, has compassion for this man. God sees us in our suffering and he has compassion. Authentic shepherds are compassionate. Compassion means that sometimes we have to be willing to enter into the suffering of others. I was beginning to volunteer at a local hospital as a chaplain. And the, the first time that we do that, we we're supposed to shepherd a, a chaplain that's on staff already. And so I was, I was shadowing this, this chaplain and we were walking and visiting different patients. And by the, by the grace of God, I've been in ministry a couple years at this point. And we're about to walk into this room, and this nurse comes up to us, and she stops us. She says, you can't go into this room. And, and she tells us this, this person has been yelling and screaming, and, and they're so angry. They've been throwing stuff at the nurses, all this stuff. She says, you can't go in there. And I looked at the chaplain, and I said, I need to go in there. And she looked at me, and she said, okay, I'm going to stay out here. And so she, so she stayed. She stayed out. I was supposed to be shadowing this person, but I just, I just knew that I had to go into this room, and and so I just, when I heard that she stayed outside, I said, I just started praying. Okay, God, this is what I need. I know that I need to go in this room, and so I went into this room, and this individual came in for a regular checkup, and they had been given three months to live. This person, this individual, was suffering. They were, they were grieving, and, and so the, all of the anger and all, all of the hurt, they, they just didn't know what to do. Well, how do you respond when you're told that you got three months to live? And so I just, I sat with this individual, I prayed, and encouraged them in the Lord as much as I, I could, and prayed with them and, and, and left. But we, we have to be willing to enter into the suffering of others, even when it's uncomfortable. Even if you don't have the answers or know what to say, we have to be willing to enter into the suffering of others. Instead of taking the safer route and returning to Antioch and Syria, they traveled over 100 miles heading west, returning to the cities they preached and were persecuted. They returned because they were charged by the Lord Jesus Christ to care for his sheep. Jesus tells us the difference between a shepherd and a hireling in, in John 10, verses 11 through 13. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, 
who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Persecution wasn't the end of the work, but rather the beginning. Wolves were coming. Paul and Barnabas would return to protect the flock. Despite the opposition, a great number of Jews and Greeks believed for Paul to preach the gospel, to be persecuted, and to never return again, what would that say about what he believed, about what he preached? Paul not only preached the gospel, but he lived out the gospel. New believers are infants spiritually, and infancy leaves them vulnerable. The devil preys on their vulnerability, and if Paul were not to return, the wolves would snatch and scatter them. Paul would only be considered a hireling and and surely the testimony of his life wouldn't be what we know. Paul shares the heart of the shepherd for the lost and for the recently saved. He returns, it says, to strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. They return to encourage them not to be disheartened by tribulations or hardships. Paul's life becomes a testimony of his commitment to his good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Scripture says that perfect love casts out fear. God's perfected his love in the heart of Paul, and God sends him back to testify to God's faithfulness through persecution, intent on perfecting that same love in them. Do you here today in the crowds understand how much God loves you? So Paul tells the disciples that through many, many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. There's suffering in this world that we will all experience, but there's a holiness suffering that, we, that few of us will embrace. When we follow Jesus for the sake of walking in God's footsteps, we will experience the suffering of laying down our fleshly desires and fighting our sin. The battle with the flesh will hurt, but suffering for righteousness' sake will reveal the treasure that is found in Christ Jesus. Jesus warned his followers that following him would lead to suffering at times. God's people throughout Scripture suffered at the hands of those who opposed God. If the world hates you, Jesus says, Keep in mind that it hated me first. In Christ, we no longer belong to the world. God's chosen us out of the world, and for this reason, the world will hate us as they hated Paul. They don't hate Paul, they hate whom he represented. The world didn't hate Jesus, they hated what Jesus represented. The spirit of the world opposes the spirit of Christ. We must make up our minds to expect persecution and tribulation in various forms. Listen to the unbelieving Jews and believe in their heresy or listen to the apostles and believe in Jesus Christ. Paul never stopped experiencing the compassion of his shepherd and the disciples need to be encouraged to continue in their faith so that they could experience the same degree of compassion and mercy and grace that God bestows. Verse 23 says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
Our fourth point today is the shepherd cares about the spiritual well-being of the sheep. Jesus is the good, pro- the good shepherd that promises to never leave or forsake his flock. God's using Paul and Barnabas to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? The church needs people who are willing to move forward into ministry even in the face of personal danger and hardship. Adversity shouldn't hinder our walk with Jesus, but rather it should spur us on into deeper commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas returned to organize church leadership. They returned to make sure that believers were established in the faith, that they knew the truth of the gospel and that their souls were firmly anchored in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The flock would need counsel, advice, encouragement, instruction. It says they had appointed elders for them in every church. After Paul was stoned and left for dead, the disciples gathered about him. Sheep are completely dependent on their shepherd for protection, for nurturing, for sustenance, for guidance, for, for everything. God provides these things through his church, through fellow believers. Immediately after his disciples gathered about him, he rose up, continuing his mission. Elders are charged with the responsibility of overseeing the sheep and ensuring their spiritual health and care. Paul and Barnabas knew they wouldn't remain in one place forever. They also knew the shepherd commissioned them to raise up other shepherds that would tend to the flock in their absence. God didn't only send them as preachers, but as people that would be personally invested in the the lives of the people. The role of the shepherd demands that we raise up other shepherds to tend to the flock in our absence. This is discipleship. Paul and Barnabas would eventually be sent on to continue their journey of faith, but God would use them to establish leadership that would keep them grounded in the truth of God's word. The shepherd wants his flock to flourish, and he knows that requires an army. Every member of the body, the flock, has a role. Each and every one of us in this room has a purpose and a function in the body of Christ. Sheep left alone are vulnerable. Being alone makes them an easy target. They need support, encouragement, and accountability, all of which would be provided by the elders that Paul and Barnabas would appoint. Elders weren't any believers, but ones that would be chosen through intentional prayer and fasting and, and the seeking of discernment by God as their good shepherd. You know, I'm, I'm here today, and, and we, in the beginning we talked about God's faithfulness, and, I, and I'm just captivated by his faithfulness. On a, we, we've been involved at Axe Community Church um, for, for a year now. We got married in this church. Like, I just moved to Pasadena, and, and God had set up this divine appointment to connect me with Billy, and this is an amazing thing. And now, um, fa- fast forward now, God's, by the grace of God, I'm, I'm serving as, as the executive pastor there now. And on August 8th, um, they'll, they'll be ordaining me. And, and who, who am I? If, if God could use a broken vessel like me, how much more can he use you as a broken vessel too? But, but through prayer and fasting and discernment from God, the good shepherd, elders are appointed to care for the flock. Without God's influence, though, even, even their appointment would avail nothing. 
The proclamation of God's word only begins the process. The shepherd's responsibility includes feeding, leading, cleaning, bandaging, protecting, and nurturing the flock. Have you ever tried to administer CPR to somebody that's in the other room? It's impossible. The nourishment of the flock happens in proximity where the shepherd's always accessible to the sheep. Let's look at what God's word says about elders and the flock. 1 Peter 5 says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over, lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is the word of God. Paul de- Paul's desire isn't to establish a hierarchy of leadership in the church. Elders are servant leaders. Scripture says that overseers in the church are to be above reproach, but that does not mean that they are superior to everyone else. Elders are people positioned to set the example for the flock as Christ has set the example for them. They tend to the spiritual well-being of the flock that the good shepherd desires to maintain. Continue to walk with God. Don't walk away with him, away from him. You will experience suffering. This life will be hard. There will be trials. There will be opposition, but do not do life alone. Paul in Ephesians gives us various roles that God establishes in the church and their purpose. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is what we see in the crowds in the beginning of the text, right? Church leaders are established to equip the saints for work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. Unity of the faith, unity of the knowledge of the Son of God Mature manhood, the fullness of Christ. The shepherd cares about the spiritual well-being of the sheep. He wants, to, he wants us to raise up sheep to be shepherds, but this requires investment. He wants elders, leaders in the church, to be positioned to be involved in the, the lives of the people beyond preaching and teaching. There are people willing to endure suffering on behalf of others, the way the good shepherds suffered on their behalf. They walk with the flock to help them remain steadfast in Christ's love, faithful and obedient despite opposition that will transpire. This is authentic shepherding. And the, and the last point, briefly before we close. Sorry, I turned the wrong page. (laughs) 
the shepherd will not share his glory. Verse 24 and 28 says that then they passed through Poseidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they have been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. Everybody say, boast about God. And how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and there remained no little time with the disciples. God raises up sheep to be his shepherd, but there's only one shepherd that will be glorified. Paul and Barnabas were commissioned by God through the church at Antioch in Syria. The Spirit told them, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. Jesus saw the crowds and he said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. God sends them into the harvest as laborers. They faithfully respond. God had compassion on the crowds he knew would gather even before Paul and Barnabas were sent. They returned to the church in Antioch in Syria where they had been commissioned to boast about God. When you go on a mission trip and return, people will inevitably ask, what did you do? These missionaries don't return to the church to tell them about what they had done. This, this is so important. I want all of you to hear this. I know many, some of you just got back from a mission trip. So some of this word is for you. He says, they declared all that God had done with them. There's no shepherd but the good shepherd that is Christ Jesus, and he alone will be glorified. His glory will not be shared. Scripture says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Everyone say, boast in the Lord. Paul says in Galatians, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The first several years in ministry, God had positioned me to oversee short-term missions, thousands of people from all over the country. And, and in that season of my life, God brought me to this place of, of leading them to go back home, to prepare their hearts for the time that they'd get back home. And people would ask, what did you do on this mission trip? What did you do? And to prepare their hearts not to boast about what they had done, but to declare what God had done through them, what he had allowed them to be involved with, what God had done in Christ through them. We must not take the glory that we don't deserve because at the end of the day, we are nothing. We have nothing to offer. I have nothing to offer you but Christ in me and the Word of God. If you don't hear anything today that I, that I say, hear the Word of God, the Word of God is the only thing that's going to change your heart and your soul. The first church didn't start with an apostle. It started with people that were suffering, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul and Barnabas weren't sent out alone but they are no greater than the ones that stayed behind in Antioch. No one is greater than the other. There's one body, and we're all part of that body of Christ with various functions. Paul and Barnabas are ones that were sent out, but the ones that remained were still given the privilege to share in the suffering of their brothers. The Bible says that if one member suffers, all suffer together. The church in Antioch, the community comes around them and enters into their suffering. 
God's word instructs us to confess our sins to one another, to, to carry one another's burdens, to come around one another, to do life with one another so that we will all move forward in Christ Jesus. We're one flock submitted to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. That is God's desire for his church. That we together strive to be a people that finish well in Christ Jesus. That he would be glorified through our entire being. Paul desires to know Paul's desire to know God wasn't just intellectually, but experientially. He says that I may share in his suffering. God answers this request. Paul enters into the fellowship of suffering and returns to the church at Antioch to bear witness, to encourage, and to challenge the flock to do likewise. His witness only isn't his words, but his life. They remain with the disciples for an extended period of time where they continue to lead them in the way of attaining personal holiness. Paul was on the front lines. Barnabas was an encourager. Timothy was a student of Paul's. We all need one another. We're helpless, vulnerable sheep apart from Christ and apart from his body. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The church must gather together, united in the faith, prepared to declare all that God has done with each of us and through each of us. Not to glorify self, but to glorify the Savior, the Good Shepherd, who first laid down his life for us. What, I'm, I'm here to tell you that what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. Real, real quick, Timothy, if you can come up here, we're going to close on this. Some of you, I've lost some of you, and that's okay. If you don't hear anything i got to say, hear this last part. Timothy, can I get two more? Can I have two, two guys come up here real quick? Timothy, stand up here. All right, real quick. This is my son, by the way. I, I, love, I love that my son looks nothing like me. If you guys could stand here. Uh, we, we should all desire to be surrounded with people that don't look like us. Amen? All right. <laughs> You're going to kick out of that home. All right, real, real quick, we're going to close here. So, remember, Paul, so if you can't see here, look this way so they can see too. This, so the flesh, the world, and the devil. So, Paul and Barnabas are empowered by the Spirit of God, right? There's three things that are opposed to the Spirit of Christ. The flesh, the world, and the devil. These, 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 these three things will always contradict the Spirit of God. Now, now the, the flesh, right, the, the people were influenced by the crowds because of jealousy, right? It's the, it's the world, the religious system that led people astray because of the flesh, the jealousy that the unbelieving Jews held on to, right? So, so the first part of this, now, it's important that we, that we acknowledge that, you know, we can say that Jesus is our, our good shepherd, Right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But, but this statement is explicitly for Christians. If, if we're not Christians, then we haven't even acknowledged that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. We have to first give our lives up to Jesus and to overcome our flesh, right? That, that's the beginning of this walk with the Lord. We have to give up our rights, our privileges, and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, I met somebody this recently and by divine appointment, and they... In the beginning of our conversation, I was talking about Jesus, and the first thing they said to me was, I'm homosexual. What do you think about me? 
And I just started praying, how do I respond to this? And, and we talked about Jesus for an hour. By the grace of God, I just gave him the word of God and affirmed how much God loves this individual. And at one point in our conversation, they said, if, if I acknowledge this Jesus that you're talking about, I'm going to lose all my friends. I'm going to lose all my family. They said, everybody that I know is into drugs, alcohol. They're all homosexuals. They're all just fully living in sin and want nothing to do with Jesus. They said, I'm going to lose all my friends and all my family. And I said, yes, you're right. You're going to lose all your friends and all your family. And at the same time, I was, I'd encourage them because that's the suffering that they had to endure. To overcome their flesh, they had to give all of that, that up. And what, what, I, what I told them, what I encouraged them is that you, yes, you're going to lose all of your friends and all your family, but here's the beautiful thing. God is going to put other people around you that care for your soul, that love you more than you can imagine. God is going to put other people around you and give you friends and family through the church. And the other part of that, I, said, I encourage her, I said, God's going to give you, he's going to put on your heart to start praying for all your friends. And, it's, and it's, as you grow and, and, and mature in the Lord, your friends that are unsaved, that are lost too, God's going to save them too. And you're going to be able to witness the power of God and what he does to save your family members and to save your friends. So yes, you're going to lose everything that you're, you've been holding on, holding on to, everything that you know, but God's going to give you something better through Christ Jesus. But, but the suffering was giving up, all, was the willingness to lose all of your friends and all of your family for the sake of what Christ had done. But, but then, okay, you do that. So some of you have done that. Some of you have given your life to the Lord. And, and the devil in the back is always deceiving, right? The devil's the father of lies. So he's telling you, you can't hold on to that sin. You can't give out your life to Jesus. Go, go continue to drink, continue to get high, continue to do all of these things. Jesus isn't enough. You can't believe in this Jesus, right? That's what the devil's doing all the time in the background in her heads. But that, a couple weeks after, she's, this gal says to me, I, but I love sin. It feels so good. Well, if you knew what Jesus offered you and how good he was and how much better it was that he offered, you would give up the sin. The, the sin would be tasteless. But the devil's always lying throughout this whole thing, right? But, but we give our lives to Jesus, and now we get the world, right? Now, now the world, the religious system, the people around us, you, God calls you to leave your job. He calls you to, to go on missions, go to Africa, go to whatever, right? And, and the world tells us, no, you can't do that. Stay here, work this job. Go back to that party. Stay in the party. The, the, the world, like, every, everybody just supposes what God is calling you to do. And surely then you start questioning, am I, okay, God, am I hearing your voice? Six years ago, and God called me to leave my job and give up everything and put everything in my car and start ministry. I didn't even know what ministry was. And everybody, they, at one point, I was a paralegal, and they brought me into their office for a two-hour intervention telling me, you can't, you can't follow this Jesus. You can't take this internship where you're not going to make any money. And they, they offered me $10,000 and all kinds of stuff because the world is always going to oppose what the Spirit of God wants to take you to do. But then you take a step further. Okay, you, you overcome that opposition and you continue to walk faithful and obedient to God. And now you're in the devil's territory. Now, now you're where Paul is at, where he, he's on front lines preaching the gospel and now they stone him to death. We got to get rid of this Paul. This Paul is telling too many people about Jesus and too many people are saved. We got to get rid of him. And, and so they stone him to death. And, and what does he do? He gets back up and returns. And so... I'm going, to, I'm going to pray for us here, but where, where are you at? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you recognized him as, as your king? Have you overcome the flesh and said, I, I give up everything. I got nothing. That's where I was in Las Vegas. I got nothing. Jesus wasn't all I had. 
He wasn't all I needed until he was all I had. And so I gave everything up, and that was overcoming the flesh, but I had a lot of stuff, a lot of baggage, a lot of addiction, pornography, a lot of, lot of stuff, a lot of baggage that God had to start working out of me. But as I was faithful and, and doing that, submitting to, to Christ, the world, there was so much opposition. You can't do all these things, so much opposition, but I don't care anymore. All I care is about being faithful. What is God calling you to? Because there are leaders in this church, people that God has called to be, to be shepherds of the flock, to be authentic shepherds for Christ. But we can't let the opposition take us away from what God has called us to do. So where are you? Maybe, maybe the world is. Maybe, maybe you're in a place of suffering. Maybe you're in a hardship, a trial, where, where God just wants to encourage you today, where Jesus says, I will never leave or forsake you. And the world wants to tell you that you're alone and, you're, and you're, you don't have anybody that cares about you, all these things, but, but you have all kinds of people that care for you. God cares for you so much that you have a wonderful church here where there's all kinds of people that will come alongside you.